Um, so I'm going to come at this uh, from a slightly different angle. I teach uh, just around the corner on social implications of the internet. I've been here for about 10 years. Uh, but I started in this area uh, really quite some time ago, um, in the early 90s. I see some people who uh, were, were there <laughs> at that time. Um, so I didn't know what kind of mix to give between uh, looking at the ethical and social implications and kind of giving a, a primer in what this area of research is about. So I'm going to do a bit of both uh, and rush organize in, in 20 minutes so we can go for lunch. Uh, so the overview of the talk is that I'm going to talk about some applications, I'm going to talk about um, you know, why virtual environments in my mind are important, I'm going to define virtual environments, I'm going to rush over some findings, and then I'm going to talk about recent uh, changes in this area, and then I'm going to come to the ethical and social implications at the end. So I can skip over this slide pretty much uh, because it's um, quite well known uh, what have these things been used for, uh, and they've been used for all sorts of ways of bridging distance of, um, uh, of being together in a virtual space and doing things like education, training, and so on. I should say that unless uh, I say otherwise, I'm talking about shared virtual environments. I'm talking about uh, uh, places where you're interacting with somebody else uh, online. Now, uh, why are they uh, important? Well, to my mind, um, I think you know, it's been evident from the talk so far that we've got a lot of technologies for being here together. We've got a lot of different uh, ways through mobile phones, through augmented realities, through being spending so much time online uh, that there's lots of ways in which we spend time online together. And I think there are many preconceptions about this, one of them, uh, and I think this has come out in some of what's been said already, but I think this is a very popular conception, that being there together uh, is not as good as face-to-face -face interaction. Uh, but to my mind, I think uh, virtual environments can really help us to understand all sorts of different mediated interaction. And the way they do that is, I think, if you uh, define uh, virtual environments uh, very narrowly and concretely as presence plus co-presence. So presence for the single user, co-presence for shared environments. So I would define virtual reality technologies and indeed presence as the sensory experience of being in a place other than the one that you're physically in being able to interact with that environment, so being able to do something there. And if it's a shared virtual environment, you're interacting with others. Now let's just pause and uh, look at that definition in detail. This means that games are not virtual environments. In a game, you're a soldier, you're in a car, and so on, but you don't have a sense of presence, that is to say your senses, aren't in the virtual environment directly. They're in the car, or you're a soldier, and so forth. Uh, but you're not experiencing a place other than the one that you're physically in. Now the implications of this, uh, and I've written about this in some uh, depth, is that we can already think of uh, the very way in which virtual environments are going to develop to the end of time. I mean, there are only really two possibilities. 
uh, in virtual files. But I'll show you some examples of these. But it means that there are bas basically two things that we can do. One is we can capture people. That is to say, you can train a camera on people, capture their images, and put them in a virtual environment. And then people capture people can be in there together. Or we can computer-generate avatars. That is to say, we can generate images that are tracked from your body, but they are digitally generated. And then we can do transformations on them, and we can stick them into the environment. And these really are the only two possibilities to the end of time, and everything that I say later on about the social implications hinges on that. So let's look at this. I mean, uh, already in the early 2000s, there were people who uh, had technologies for capturing live people uh, and putting them into an environment that was photorealistic, photorealistic, and having them interact with other photorealistic uh, people in an environment that was also consisted of images captured from the real environment. So this is the same environment where the person is captured with a camera. So that's one type of, type of environment that you have. Um, and you know, the person is there in a full, full body, their full body has been generated, and you can capture the things that are around them, but it's photorealism. So that's one of the end states because that kind of holodeck type uh, technology has been available for some time. It's not very widely used, um, but it exists. But it's capturing the real you. And that's really what I'm emphasizing. Now, there are other technologies such as cave type technologies, and uh, I used to uh, do lots of experiments uh, with this uh, together with colleagues at University College London. Uh, and there what you're doing is you have a tracked person and you have their avatars and uh, you can enable those people to do things at a distance. So we use that cave technology in uh, Sweden where I used to work and we would have people do things together with people that were in London. And uh, you could experiment with what their experience was and how they could collaborate and so on. Now this gets back to my earlier point, which is that very often it's said that you can't uh, interact as well in virtual environments as you can in real. Well, that turns out to be false. If you want to do a Rubik's Cube, uh, and you have a setup of 2K technologies, and you can lift up the Rubik's Cube, and you can interact with another person who's in a different country, and you want to do it together with them, then you can do it just as well as you can in real. How do I know that? Well, we showed it. These are the two people. This is a very old avatar, very silly looking, looks like a Superman in, in underpants or something like that. Uh, they've got much better. But if you want to do a Rubik's Cube together, uh, and your one person is in Sweden and one is in, 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 in London, uh, but take any two places, uh, then you can do it uh, just as well uh, as, as you could if you were doing it face to face. I showed that, this is slightly better avatar, um, these are even better avatars with slightly uh, odd looking eyes, kind of creepy, uh, but the eyes have gotten better and, uh, you know, but, but the avatar is quite good now and uh, again if you want to do a Rubik's Cube you can do it just as well as you can in real. 
uh, because we showed that we were doing it face to face. It took just a long time. That's not saying very much, but it's a really important thing about virtual environments because you're there, you're interacting with one uh, with one another, you're interacting with another person, and you have a sense of interacting also with the environment. You're, you're literally doing things with other people. You're interacting with the space directly. And that's what virtual environments are all about. So then you, you can use cave-type technologies uh, to do all sorts of other things. You can make people build stuff. You can make people uh, wayfind in virtual environments. You can make them uh, uh, play games in the sense that they're there together, and so there are no rules as in computer game, but they're doing things with one another, such as finding things. That sense of game uh, they can do with one another. And we've done lots of studies about that and, and how people experience that uh, and how they uh, interact in the environments and, and, and do lots of collaborative tasks. So collaboration can be as good as face-to-face. -face. That's some findings. We also know that the more immersive, um, the more they experience being there and being there together as other things equal. So you can have, for example, people collaborate and one person will be in a cave-type environment and one will be in a desktop environment. The one is obviously much more immersive than the other. The other is uh, sitting in a desktop environment and moving with a mouse, so they don't have that immersive experience. And you can show with all sorts of uh, psychological measures and questionnaires and so on, and also measuring uh, all sorts of physiological traits, uh, that one has a greater uh, sense of being there. And also that they, that they have an advantage. Uh, I mean, we showed in a very early study that uh, if you have three people collaborating, one person is using a head-mounted head display or a cave technology, and the other two are working on a desktop, uh, that the person who has the more immersive display takes a leadership role. Uh, now, the important thing to mention about those kinds of studies is that that person doesn't know that he or she has a more powerful technology, but they naturally emerge as a leader in doing the task. So more immersiveness also means leadership in the class, and that has some quite interesting uh, social implications. The other things we know about virtual environments is that certain things uh, you can learn very easily to do, certain other things are, are really hard. So for example, if you have a 3D joystick and you use that and you're doing the Rubik's Cube with another person and you're standing there doing this in the cave with one another, uh, the other person will quite often say, well, which cube would you like me to pick up now? And the other person will say, that one. And they'll point with their non-tracked hand, and they'll say, what are you talking about? And the person will do that one. And you, you can do this experiment again and again, and people won't realize whether they're being tracked or not. So there's all sorts of stuff like that, where people can very easily move through each other's avatars if they're completely engrossed in doing the Rubik's Cube, and they won't notice. On the other hand, when they're not doing the Rubik's Cube, and they're just in, uh, interacting with another avatar, They'll do things like they'll walk through the avatar and they'll say, oops, excuse me, I didn't mean to walk through you. But when they're engrossed in the task, they'll just walk through the other avatar without even noticing. That kind of thing, I mean, all these kinds of uh, things are things that we've learned over the course of time. 
just one aside, I mean, Second Life, as we mentioned earlier, and uh, Johnny was talking about uh, not encountering churches. Uh, I actually, one of the first things I wrote was about churches. People really did, in active worlds, at least I didn't uh, find them in Second Life so much, but in active worlds, they had a very active church. And it was quite a moving experience to be in an church together. And so I'm not quite sure uh, that that applies to all virtual worlds, but they do certainly exist. Anyway, that's just an aside. So nowadays we have all sorts of different online virtual worlds. Some have really good avatars, some have uh, avatars like this. This is Online Travelers, which has been around for many, many years. And people interact there. And this is quite an interesting virtual world because people have voice and their mouths move, which is quite an interesting thing to study. And of course, video conferencing is getting more prevalent nowadays and is getting so realistic that it's a little bit, um, you know, I mean, if you're in a very good video conferencing system, it can happen that it looks almost creepy because it's so realistic. But notice that this is the other end state that I was talking about. This is people being captured. So in this case, you can't change your avatar. And in fact, there are very interesting phenomena going on there, which mean that you know, people are so aware of this realism that they interact in a quite different way. So I'm not going to go through uh, so many of these findings, but um, you know, we know quite a lot about avatars and, and how they interact with one another in shared virtual environments. Avatars and consistency. Uh, the longer you spend inside the virtual world, the more you're likely to behave like uh, uh, know other people, the more you're likely to care that your avatar uh, uh, represents you faithfully and so on. Of course, a lot depends on the fact that uh, in most virtual worlds uh, you have voice. So voice is a kind of reality check, even if your avatar, as we know from many studies, typically uh, represents you fairly closely, even if not entirely uh, faithfully. And we have lots of other uh, findings, which I'm not going to go through, uh, which are about uh, you know, how you manipulate the space, what you can and can't do very easily, and so on. Another finding that we do have, and this comes back to, again, a point made earlier by Donnie, is that uh, we do establish in virtual worlds uh, what Joe Walter has called hyperpersonal relationships. So quite often, you can get to know the other person better online, especially, well, in the case of strangers, through slowly engaging with them, through learning about them, uh, without encountering them face to face first. And that has to do with the fact of what you're disclosing over the course of time. So, uh, I mean, I don't need to say much about this. Uh, the technology is obviously getting better. Um, I think one of the things about online spaces is that it strikes me that they should, uh, from a design perspective, be imaginative. They should be able to allow things to uh, do things that are creative and so on. Uh, that's quite obvious. But again, the two end states that I talked about have quite different affordances. I mean, there's certain things that you can and cannot do in a realistic, photo-realistic environment that's captured because you simply can't play around with people's appearance, uh, you can't play around with how they represent the environment and so on. And I think the other thing that's, uh, that we know too little about, uh, I mean, some, some of these things are things that we know a lot about, the other th the thing that we don't really know 
uh, very much about. It's how many others you can focus on at any given time. That's quite difficult in the virtual environment. If you're in a small group, you can collaborate very easily together, but add the number of people in a virtual environment and your focus kind of, you get distracted and it's very difficult to focus. I mean, unlike in this room, for example, where I can kind of look around and see lots of people easily, in a virtual environment, in an immersive one and in a virtual world, that's quite difficult, uh, simply because of the affordances of the technology. So, there's lots of things that we could say about that, but um, you know, these technologies are proliferating, but they have quite different affordances. The way I make this point is by saying that, you know, around at the Oxford Internet Institute, uh, which is just around the corner, we have this signing board, you know, and all our names are on this. So we kind of click <coughs> in order to indicate that we're, that we're present in the office. Um, but in this type of environment, this is kind of a, this is kind of the lowest end avatar that you could have, because this is simply uh, a presence that you're signaling. Uh, now, this isn't very realistic, because I, I know that, because some of my colleagues refuse to sign in for privacy reasons. They just don't like to be monitored in this way. Uh, but this is essentially my avatar when I'm in the office, and it's very useful. Compare that with a photorealistic uh, way of knowing whether people are there. These are iris scanners. I mean, uh, you know, the airports have them, and uh, if you walk through one of these, you're either in the country or you're not. I mean, you can't go through one of these, and you can't represent yourself with through your iris uh, in a non-faithful way. So these are the two end states that I'm talking about, and they have quite different affordances and enable you uh, constrain you from doing quite different things. So what's been going on in this area recently? Well, you have Minecraft, uh, which you know is the most one of the most powerful virtual worlds recently, uh, which has a lot of users. And I think the reason that it, it exemplifies the kind of end state that I was talking about is because people can be creative, they can build things, they can have spatial interaction with people, with other people, and they can really generate a stake inside the virtual world because they've built it, and we know from other virtual worlds that that matters a lot to the people that are in there. The other thing is that virtual reality kind of waxes and wanes in terms of the debates that are going on about it, simply because of the kind of way in which the technology is becoming commercialized. So in recent months and weeks, we see an outpouring of articles because Oculus has been bought by Facebook and they're developing a low-cost headset. But these things, I mean, if you've been in this for a long time, these things come and go. You know, every time there's a new technology, there's a new kind of moral panic, as the previous people put it. You know, and these things just uh, have been happening for years, for decades, in fact. Um, but uh, you know, that will continue until people find uh, an engaging, really creative, and really worthwhile way in which people spend time in one or other of these uh, end states. And I think in the meantime, virtual uh, environments will be used for lots of different experiments, uh, but they will also uh, kind of be lacking in more uh, profound social implications until uh, they really have that traction uh, in social applications. So this is Google Cardboard, which is very low, uh, very inexpensive headset, but uh, you know whether people will use it really depends on uh, how compelling 
spaces for spending time inside there and ultimately spending time with other people. And this is just a, an image that I uh, looked at from Minecraft. So, conclusion, or towards the conclusion. Uh, I think we have lots of different technologies uh, for mediating our experience. Uh, our mobile phones are always on. We have lots of ways of being mutually aware of other people. Uh, but these are kind of approximations of the two end states that I was talking about. They're not really virtual environments, but they're ways in which we are on the way to getting there. And they do afford some limited sense of co-presence, uh, but only with partial attention. I mean, you don't have a sense of literally, physically being in another space uh, and being there with others. So we have lots of what some scholars have called connected presence. Uh, and connected presence, depending on how you measure it, uh, many people nowadays spend half their waking lives online, but these are not virtual environments because they only have partial demands on our attention. Uh, but they're interesting ways in which we can think of the two end states and what they represent for these ways of being. So I would argue that self is not necessarily changing. Uh, I think the, the thing that is changing and is, you know, is not really about virtual environments, but is much more about the uh, experience of the media that we have together. Our experience is becoming more and more mediated. And that's taking place through so many different technologies that aren't virtual environments. And I think we do have more and more avatar personae. I mean, we do have more and more ways of representing ourselves online through social networking sites and so on. But we also know that if you're inside a virtual environment and that you're interacting with other people, the longer you interact with them, the more you represent yourself faithfully. Sherry Turkle's argument many years ago that we can explore all sorts of different identities has been falsified. I mean, we know that people who spend more time in virtual worlds, the longer they spend, the more they reveal themselves as they are. Uh, and our avatar representations are typically uh, they're a little bit like us. Uh, they're a little bit nicer versions, uh, if we can choose them but they don't depart that fundamentally from who we really are. So, coming to the conclusion, I think the ethics are something that I haven't really uh, talked so much about, but the ethics seems to me follow from the two end states. That the the photorealistic, the captured one, as against the computer-generated one. These seem to me to be two fundamentally different things. It seems to me that also, a single user experience has very different ethical and social implications from shared virtual environments. So these are also two quite separate things. The interesting thing, if we think about these end states that I've been talking about, captured versus generated, is that most of the time, the vast majority of these things I define virtual environments as having a sensory presence of beings inside the environment and being able to do things there with the environment. Most of the time, that's visual and it's auditory. It doesn't involve the other three senses. And most of the time, it doesn't involve haptics. Haptics technology is very underdeveloped. And that is why I think we need to kind of draw back when we think about the ethical and social implications because you can't kill anyone in those virtual environments. Not unless you have haptics. 
If you had a haptic device, or you're wearing a haptic device, and the other person on the other end is wearing a haptic device, and you can literally poke them, and they at the other end can be poked, then that's real violence. But most of the virtual environments that we have are auditory and visual, and that's it. And they have those two end states, and that's really where I'm going to end, which is that, of course, if you have a computer-generated end state, then you can manipulate it in all sorts of different ways. If you have video conference, or kind of holodeck experience, or capture experience, that seems to me to have quite different social and ethical implications from computer-generated end states where you can manipulate the way in which people hear, and also what the environment appears like. You can do lots of things like flying, uh, and changing the environment, throwing things around that you couldn't throw around in real. Those are the kinds of things that you can do in a virtual, computer-generated environment, but things that you can't do in a realistic environment. So I think it's very important to keep those two things apart. But those are the only two things that we're ever going to have, at least in terms of technology, how I've defined it here. Thanks.